Well, as you're seated today, uh, when, when Jim was up just a moment ago, he read from 1 Corinthians there uh, for each of you. But there's also another passage that I would like us to take a moment to look at. Um, you've heard this passage before many, many times. It's not new to you. But in Matthew 7, you hear the instructions of Jesus himself uh, speaking with regards to judging one another. So let me do this. Hey, Dave, can one of you guys see what's going on with this here while I read from Matthew? Thank you. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, I want you to hear Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. These are the words of Jesus. Now, I would assert this. Jesus planted the church. Paul explained the church and helped people make application of the teachings of the Messiah in a way where God had inspired him and the Holy Spirit spoke through him. So let's go back to hear specifically what Jesus had to say about this issue of accountability and judging. He said this, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 7 or 6, do not judge so that you won't be judged for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others. And you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that splinter out of your eye. And look, there's a beam of wood in your own. Hypocrite. First take the beam of wood out of your eye. Then you'll see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's. Don't give what's holy to dogs or toss your pearls before swine. Or they will trample them under feet, turn and tear you to pieces. The message there is really kind of clear, isn't it? You understand that the way we judge other people is the way we're going to get judged ourselves. So when Jesus, who is a master of rhetoric, engages this, he says to the people, Oh, hey, look, don't judge and nobody will judge you. Thank you, Baxter. I appreciate that. Or team, all of you guys who did that, I appreciate it. Um, And it did it again. (laughs) And it's back. Wait, don't move too far because it likes you. It's going to stay. Okay, it's staying. It's good. You can go back. I'll just put it on this side just in case, Baxter. It's a little closer. See, it knows when somebody from this generation's around, they'll know how to do it. So it won't matter. The old guys, it's like, <laughs> okay. So we're going to look at three particular things today. That message, by the way, from Jesus kind of plays out like this. Hey, if you don't judge anybody else, nobody will care enough to judge you. If you don't care enough to to call people into account when they're engaged in life-destroying sin, when they're on a path that's going to lead them to ruin, that leads only one place, which is devastation and disappointment and a colossal train wreck of their life. If you don't love somebody enough to put yourself out there and to engage with them to help them make better choices, you don't need to worry about anybody ever caring enough about you or loving you enough to do it either. That's what Jesus is saying. Have you, have you heard it presented that way before? I mean, if you've been at community church a while, I know you have. But here's the facts, folks. The Bible never said, don't judge. It's bad to judge. That's not what Jesus was trying to get across. He used rhetorical language which says, hey, if you don't care enough to judge other people, they don't care enough to judge you either. If, if you're nasty and vindictive and spiteful and condescending in the way that you judge people, if you've got the biggest King of James out there and you just beat people over the head with it, see, it told you, bam, you're bad, bam, you're no good, boom, you'll never account for anything, you'll never amount to anything, you're nothing but bad, sinner, sinner, bang, bang. If that's the way you approach people, it's exactly what's going to happen when you mess up. Now, join me. How many of you are likely to mess up at some point in your Christian walk? You better get your hands up. Okay, so, so here's the fact. It's going to happen. You're going to screw up. 
You're going to get to a point where you begin to believe something that's wrong and you're going to act on it. And you're going to make the fool of yourself because <laughs> I will. I may do it up here. You never know. But it's going to happen. And when people love you, they're going to be able to come alongside you and go, hey, because I love you, I'm going to take a risk here. And I'm going to let you know this pattern in your life that keeps leading you into this train wreck, it's a sinful pattern. Can I, can I help? Can I just come along and can I be the person that says, yo, Joe, here you go again. Uh, hey, Jane, this thing, it's kind of back. You know, we had, you gave me permission to challenge you when you do it. That's loving people. And so this is the kind of judgment Jesus is talking about. So we're going to look three ways um, into, or three points, I guess we'll say, um, with, re- with regards to what Paul was doing to the church in Corinth in chapter 5 of the book of Corinthians. Um, now, real quickly, last week we talked about this issue of the leaven, and he had said that there's leaven amongst you, the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees. These behavior patterns are sinful, they're legalistic or they're downright immoral. Um, and so these behavior patterns that have made their way into your church, into your life, they're going to damage the whole of the church. You need to jettison those patterns. Now, would you agree? Let's just, let's have a, a, an everyday example. Uh, no example. Let's, let's change. Let me say this a different way. Let's just use an everyday application. Would you agree as a person? I'm not talking about out of the Bible as a theologian. Would you agree as a person? There is certain behavior or character traits that should not typify a good church. Would you agree? Okay. Would you agree that there are certain behavior patterns that if the church became known for it, it would destroy this church's credibility or witness in our community? Would you agree that that would be a true statement? Okay. Now, without going into the details of what they would be or who those people are, I think what we would have to agree is we have to be careful what the church becomes known for. Otherwise, that becomes a bushel what? If you have a light, okay, and, and you light it, and it's very dark, okay, and there's no light for anywhere around, um, and you light a, a, a nice lantern, okay, and you hide it under a bushel or a basket, okay, nobody's going to see it. You make the light ineffective. It might shine a little bit around your feet or whatever, but it's going to make it ineffective for everybody else. If you've got a lighthouse, okay, it's out there and it's spinning and it does its thing, and somebody draws all the shades on the lighthouse. I don't know if there's any such thing. Just bear with the example. I'm not a nautical dude, right? Don't even know if that's a term, Jim. Sorry. What's a nautical guy? A mariner? Okay. Just, yeah. Texan. Okay. So you have, you have the lighthouse. It's going around. And you pull the shades. And now it's nice and bright inside the shades. But for all those ships out there, they can't see anything. You've, you've made it effectively ineffective as a lighthouse. It's no longer a beacon of hope or light or direction. If the church has that bushel, that basket, those shades drawn because of sin, because of behavior patterns in the church that make the church irrelevant to the community around it, or we've totally and completely become so hypocritical that our witness isn't worth hearing. Those are bushels, okay? If we have those here, don't you think it's important that we recognize them and jettison those things? Otherwise, how can you be light? How can you be salt in your community? How can you preserve and guide and bring flavor to community if those things are hidden? So you got to understand sin's got to get jettisoned. So let's say three things. First of all, we want to look at this is an inside voice Paul speaks with, not an outside voice. Parents, that's for you. Two, uh, undisciplined children become what? 
Mon- it's your neighbor's kid, not yours, right? But, but undisciplined children become monsters. And parasitic sin in relationships, I just want to briefly cover what that looks like. So uh, let, let's go into this. Number one, uh, this is an inside voice, not an outside voice. Listen to a few scriptures here. If you're a note taker, by the way, just write down the referencing and, and later in your life group, go back and try to read all the way through them. Um, 1 John 1.17, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. If we incur, oh, sorry, and we encourage you this way, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone. That's 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Galatians 6.2 says, carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. 1 Cor 1.10, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no division in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Romans 12.1, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. And Philippians 4.9, do what you have learned and received and heard from me, and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. In every single one of those passages, we start to understand this. I did, this is chapter 5, verse 10 in 1 Corinthians. I did not mean the immoral people of the world, that is to say the culture outside the church, or the greedy, or the swindlers, or the idolaters, otherwise you'd have no world to live in. But actually, I write to you, not to associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister. This is speaking inside the family of faith. This is parenting in God's family. This is not you taking on the necessity of judging and holding accountable people who are outside the faith. Now, reason with me for just a minute, okay? If someone claims to be a Christian, okay, a Jesus follower, a Christian, Is it reasonable to expect a different kind of behavior from them than you would expect from a person who says, oh, I'm not a Christian at all. In fact, I'm an atheist. Would you expect a different conduct? Okay, why? Well, because the Christian says, this is the rule, this is the rod, this is the standard by which I live. The person who's outside the faith says, whatever I feel is right, Whatever system that I adhere to, that's my truth, and that's what I'll live according to. So when that person who's outside the faith does things that are contrary to this rule, am I going to get terribly upset? Well, not really, because at least, here's this, you ready? At least they're authentic. I like authentic people. You know what I can't stand? You know what drives me nuts? The same thing drives you nuts. Starts with an H. What is that thing that drives you absolutely bonkers? Hypocrisy. If somebody says they're a Christian, then act like a pagan. Would you stop it? You're hurting the, the, the name of Jesus, the testimony of the church, the effectiveness of this body of believers. And because I carry that same name, you're a blight on me. You know what you are? You're a parasite. You're taking from the church. You're taking from me. You're taking from the name of Jesus Christ and you're dragging it through the mud. You make everyone else who calls themselves Christian a victim of your sorry, hypocritical behavior, right? So don't get so upset when people who are outside the faith conduct themselves like idolaters, 
This is verse 10. Okay, I'm going to go backwards so it's more easy to, to absorb. Ready? Idolaters. You know what idolatry is? It's anything that you love more than God. Letting it sink in a second. Awkward silence. So anything in your life that on a daily basis you value more than your relationship with Jesus? Anybody? Let's all do this. Yeah. We've all kind of got Jordan up there. All of us have these things in our lives and our hearts. And all of us have to be constantly aware of things that we put on those places of preeminence and idolatry and say, oh, okay, I need to put that in its place. It's good as long as God is above it. It's good as long as it's used in a holy way for, for God. So Paul gets into that. We'll engage it next week. By the way, he says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything's permissible, but I'll not be mastered by anything. And the way we translate that is, some things are not worthy of the gospel, right? So when we say some things are not worthy of the gospel, what we're saying is, I've made it more important than God. I'm not willing to follow God's law because this is more important to me. That's idolatry. The other thing Paul mentions is swindlers. You know what a swindler is? It's a person who uses a false story to get something they want, or they cheat you in order to get something that they desire. It's the person who comes into the church office, and, and, and by the way, this is every week. They come in and they lie about something so they can get financial help from the church, okay? And look, Jamie and Lori and I know this on a weekly basis. Most people are lying to us, Am I, right, Lori? We, we've learned this. Okay, am I going to attack? No, I want to help people. I want them to know that when you need help, you can come to the church. And we'll help anybody once, unless it's obvious they're lying. We try to be a help and give people the benefit of the doubt. And when we help them, we always want them to hear the gospel. Now, let let me reiterate that. When we help them, we always want them to hear the gospel. We also want them to see the gospel lived out in graciousness, in generosity, in kindness, not in attacking, not in an inquisition but in a gracious way. But anybody wants. But things happen like this. Swindlers come in and, and, and they tell you a story. And then you come to find out later the story was different than the story they told over here or they told over here or they told over here. So the churches in Sturgeon Bay, we, we generally kind of work together. And when somebody gets some help from here, we kind of put them in the network and then the other churches kind of know. And what, here's what we've discovered. There's a whole subculture in our town. And you know what they do? They go church to church to church to church to church, and they're thieves. They're swindlers. They tell a little bit of a different story place to place, and they live off the Christians. Now, we'll help anybody once, okay? Legitimately help them with rent or electric. We love to be able to do that because that's the generosity of Jesus' people. But are we going to continually over and over and over reward sin and swindling and lying No. There comes a point where you're going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ from us and hear about how the way Jesus calls us to live, and it's going to go something like this. Thanks for letting us help you last month when you mentioned that you lost your job and you needed some help with your medication and you weren't able to make the rent. We're really glad we were able to help you with the rent. And last month, our friends at Corpus Christi were able to help you get rent because your husband threw you out. Um, and, and you didn't get your VA benefits, and Prince of Peace was able to help you last month um, because you, you were given a crazy diagnosis, um, and, and you were robbed while you were in Chicago, and you lost your paycheck. So a lot happened to you last month, it sounds like. 
what we want to tell you is this. We're glad we got to be able to help you because we love to be generous. But could I challenge you there's a better way to live? Could I challenge you that Jesus calls us to a life um, where the truth is, is in, in our view? And we, we're honest with people around us so they can honestly love us and be there to help us in the long term, not just tricking one another to get by. It's a way better way of life, and I'd love to tell you more about it. Can we start at the beginning, though? Can we just start with an honesty and begin from there? You see, what that's doing is that's judging the right way. That's calling people to account and beginning with the truth. Is that mean? No, that's honest. Are you bold enough to be honest with people? Are you mature enough to allow people to be honest with you? Because you see, just like the swindler or the idolater, there's also the greedy, the people who keep all they get for themselves, who want things for themselves, keep it for themselves, surround themselves with stuff, and are unwilling to help other people. See, that's greed. Greed is anything, anything. I've got to always have, 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 have. And when somebody's needing help or wanting a handout or, or needing assistance, you're like, oh, no, I can't do it. i got to get me first, me first, me first. See, that's greed. Now, just think of these three sins that Paul's mentioned idolatry, swindlers, or greed, and then immoral, the sexually immoral people, people whose sexual ethic and sexual conduct and sexual behavior are contrary to God's way of doing things. That's immorality. And it takes a ton of forms, doesn't it? Especially in our, our buffet of a sexual culture today, there's any number of things you can do. Does it mean that if people are sexually immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters, that we don't have anything to do with them, that we throw them out, that we remove the love of Jesus Christ from them? Is that what Paul is saying? No, what he's saying is that that's the world around you. That's the culture. Those are the people you love, that you engage. That you, should be, you should be spending time with folks like that, having them into your home, being in their home, getting to know people, loving them with the love of Jesus, but being careful that you don't let that behavior taint you, that you don't take on the world, but that you're in the world as a light, removing the bushel, bringing the salt, having the effect in the lives of these people who desperately need Jesus. But what Paul is saying, I'm talking about the inside voice. I'm saying for those who claim the name of Jesus Christ, who are inside the faith, calling themselves Christians, who continue to behave sexually immorally, in swindling, idolatrous, and greedy ways, you got to call them into account. And if they continue with a stiff neck and a hard heart and a defiant spirit to live in a lifestyle of sin that is idolatrous, debaucherous, and immoral and opposed to Jesus Christ while calling themselves Christians, the church has to do something about it. You have to judge that. Otherwise, out of your own voices, is it true? Is it true that those behaviors become a bushel that covers the light of the church? Is it easy to discipline no. So let's take this a little bit different direction. Undisciplined children become monsters, right? Have you ever been to the grocery store? Maybe it was your kid. How many of you know where I'm going, parents, right? And they throw an absolutely apoplectic meltdown because they don't get the frozen yoo to take home. And they go completely bizarre. Is that you? You totally, like, that's me. Way to go, man. Way to be honest. See? You've seen it, and you're probably on the next aisle over, and you go, mm, my child would never do that, <laughs> right? 
Never in our home. And some of you were that kid who did it. If you grew up in the Souther home and you did it, the retribution was swift. Uh, you could either go to the, to, the, to the bathroom at the grocery store and meet the belt, or you could go to the car and meet the belt. But this will not stand. And here's what my sisters and I learned real early. Shelly and I knew. You act that way, there's going to be a consequence with a swiftness. Best not act that way. And so this is called discipline. Now, the punishment led, okay, followed the disciplinary lesson that we needed to learn. This is unacceptable behavior. If you do this, it will lead to discipline. It'll lead this discipline will lead to punishment. And so we learned how to behave. Now that's an extreme example. How about this? You teach your children how to eat, how to bathe, how to talk to you as an adult. Illustration. If you allow this nasty, mean, selfish, smart aleck, wicked child to continue to act that way as a little girl, she's going to become a wicked, nasty, vindictive teenager, which you can't control now. Huh? And you know what that that wicked, nasty, vindictive, uncontrolled teenager is going to become? A wicked, nasty, uncontrolled, vicious young woman and wife, and mother, and employee, and prisoner, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna, this is where this goes. So what we have to do is this, we have to say, Kaylee, that kind of behavior will not stand. And so what we do is we say, you cannot throw rocks at the neighbors when they walk by just because you don't like them. And she goes, but I want to throw rocks. But we don't do that because that's bad behavior. Okay, I won't do that anymore. I'm just kidding because Kaylee would never do that, I hope. Right? I ain't walking in front of your house, but maybe. So, but what we have to bear in mind is if you let poor behavior continue, it becomes a pattern. And by allowing it, what we've said tacitly or implicitly as parents is that behavior is acceptable. Friends, in the life of the church, in the life of Jesus' people, we have to be disciplined, okay? So Titus uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 8, Paul is talking to pastor, young pastor Titus, who had to go to Crete, poor guy. Uh, and, and what he's doing, he's saying, listen, you need to teach them how to teach one another. And in that book of, uh, of Titus, I, I, read it on your own, it's in Titus 2, 1 to 8, he's giving instructions how older men should behave, older women should behave, how children should behave, uh, employees, uh, the, the word there is slave, it's a whole lot closer to employees today, how you behave, how you conduct yourselves with one another. There's a right way to behave as Jesus followers. As we get to Proverbs thirteen twenty four, here comes a really important one, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 22, 15, it says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a youth. A rod of discipline will separate it from him. In Acts 2, 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So an underlying message here is that devoted Jesus followers are discipled and disciplined. The rod. Now, when I say the rod, you understand, I think, what Scripture's talking about. But because I know there's people who haven't been here every week, let me revisit that really quick. This is a rod, okay? A rod is a standard. How many of you have a yardstick around the house somewhere? Anybody? 
God wants, just because you can measure things, you need to help, make sure the pictures are evenly spaced. If you don't have an awesome laser level or something like that that lines them all up just perfectly, Jimbo would do that. Uh, but so if, you, if you're wanting to have a measure, you could go get that, that measuring stick, right? So here's how it worked in the ancient world. Every shepherd would have a rod and a staff, all right? You've said it in the Lord's Prayer a thousand times, like rod, they stay off, they go. And so the rod was was not just something you'd you'd whoop a sheep with if it was bad. Here's what the rod did. All around it would be carved. They would it would be as particular length. So they always knew this particular I don't know what the length was, I'm sorry. But it's always the same. Every shepherd's rod would be the same. But all around it are carvings. And he would carve in there interesting things that had happened, the name of his family, where his family was from, his kids, interesting events, where the best watering hole, uh, lessons he's learned, a story he learned. They would carve it onto this rod. And so as we look back across scriptures, you see that Moses and Aaron, they had rods, Joshua had a rod, Isaiah, Joshua, uh, 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 Jeremiah, excuse me, I did go to school. Uh, they, they have these rods. And so what they would do is from time to time, God would say, take the rod. And so hold the rod up, hold the standard up, hold the way we behave and who you are up. Uh, you getting that? Who you are and how you behave. That's what you parent with. If you don't love your child enough, to teach them who we are and how we behave and what the standard of discipline is in our house. You don't love your kid. Matter of fact, you're a terrible parent. You're kind of a bad person because you're not caring enough about that little soul and that little person to teach them how to behave. And so then what do they end up being if you don't care and you let them be anything they want? They're that monster we've talked about. Rabbit trail for just a second. How many of you were ever a teenager? Okay. Did you push against your parents? Okay. I didn't, but other people might have, right? My mom just looked down and started shaking her head. I'm so sorry for my high school years. But, but, but here's the thing. We're all going to find this time in our life where we push a bit to kind of find out who we are. But what if there's no guide rails? What if there's no standards or fences? Dina, what kind of kid does that become? Uncontrolled? maniactic, undisciplined, destructive, selfish monsters. So parents who love their children, discipline. And sometimes discipline takes the form of punishment. But most times discipline takes the form of, here's who we are. Here's the rod. Here's the standard. This is how we conduct ourselves. And in the church, brothers and sisters, to avoid monstrous, selfish, destructive Christians... We have to teach the truth from the standard. And people are not always going to appreciate it. Because when you stand in our world today and say God has a plan for human sexuality and what is acceptable in his way of doing things, and those of us who are devoted to Jesus Christ, who devote ourselves daily to the study of the word and the standard, recognize that what the world and the courts may say is okay is contrary to what God says is okay. And we're going to stand before a holy God one day, and we're going to give account for our behavior and our message and our conduct as individuals, and also as those who teach and those who hold accountable or fail to do so. So you see, discipline and discipleship is demanded of us as the children of Jesus Christ. Or, by our own confession as a people, 
when those behaviors that are contrary to Scripture become common amongst the church, we've put a bushel over the light of the church and we're ineffective in our community. Amen? So that's where the discipline is necessary. And then finally is this issue of parasitic sin. Uh, what's a parasite? Think about it. Just get it in your mind. What does a parasite do? Uh, it lives off of other people. It lives off a host. Sin lives off that which is good. It is a parasite feeding greedily on the goodness of what God has made. If we allow sin to perpetuate in our own lives and in our church, that parasite exploits and gives nothing in return. And eventually, the host is destroyed either figuratively or literally. That tick that brings you a disease and sucks your blood and falls off and goes away, yet you're stuck with Lyme disease for months or years. That, that worm that finds its way into your gut or under your skin, uh, that, that eats away at you and takes from you and causes you pain and ruin, um, it doesn't give you anything back. It just destroys. Sin in the life of a congregation, when it's allowed to perpetuate, to continue, is parasitic. It takes away the effectiveness of that congregation and it makes it ineffective in its community. We don't have as much to give because so much has been taken by this parasitic sin. And the same thing is true, Christian, in your own life. And if the people of Jesus Christ love you enough, here's what they're going to do. They're going to say, hey, you know, I love you, right? Can I challenge you on something? If I'm kidding with my friend Katie. So, what's your name, for heaven's sake? A few minutes ago, and I, and I say, Kaylee, um, this thing in your life, it's really good. This behavior pattern. By the way, you're a really good volunteer. I'll say that for everybody. Kaylee, happy to help. Happy to do. Good at food service, great babysitter, all kinds of things about her that are really good. But what if in your life we started to see you start to have... What's a stupid sin you would never get? Racist. Let's say you start doing some kind of racist behavior. Totally not her character. That's why I say it. So let's say she starts dropping racial comments every once in a while. Uh, what? Here's what a Christian friend would do. Hey, can I challenge you on something a little bit? I don't know where it came from, but that word you used, that's inconsistent with Christian living. We don't do that, okay? Can I challenge you to be really careful about how you think and the words that come out of your mouth? Can Matter of fact, maybe once a week, why don't we get together and look at what Scripture has to say about, about Christian living and, and maybe race? Can we do that? Would you be willing to do that? See, that's discipline. That's discipling. Because somebody who's more mature comes along somebody who's slightly less mature, maybe in one little way, and they disciple them. They, they create a gravity, a pull, right? And when there's tension on that rope, you're always going in the right direction, more and more and more mature towards Jesus Christ. That's the call of the church. But if this parasitic sin of... of you're not a racist. I'll make that really clear. Kaylee Bell is not a racist. But if, if there was racist behavior in her, that, that sin can cause damage for the church and its reputation. It's a bushel. There has to be, there has to be accountability for that kind of sin. So we hear these words in Scripture. We hear Paul urging, Jesus yearning. We, we hear uh, the people being drawn. There's a convincing, a beseeching, a compelling. This is the discipling action of pulling people towards a godly life. It's, it's, it's this, when doctrine or theology is off track, it's your elders and your pastors going, 
I love you with all my heart. And because of that, I need to challenge you on this thing that you've allowed to come into your mind. You've been deceived. And I need to show you what the standard of Scripture says about the deity of Christ, the, the, the aberrant sexual behavior that our culture is accepting, but Jesus' followers must not. That we, we understand that the culture may be greedy and self-serving, but as Jesus' people, we are not. That, that finances and money are things that we steward well and we give away well because that's how Christ did it. And Christians are generous. And if you see Christians who are greedy, there's something broken and there needs to be an accountability held, right? You see, we have to be a light in our community. And so what Paul is saying to that church then is the same thing he's saying to our church now because what was is. What was true in Corinth is true today. Our cultures are astonishingly similar. What are those messages? Well, just just candid, just an, an overview of the passage is that inside the church when we see idolatry and swindling and greed and sexual immorality If it's in the church, it's got to get called out. It's got to get judged graciously and and lovingly and with great humility. But if you see it in the world outside the church, you should be drawn to those souls out there, not to that behavior, but to those souls to demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ and the gospel in the clearest of ways. Not tarnishing yourself. Not allowing sin to affect you and infect you, parasite, right? But going and showing the love of Jesus Christ and the clear gospel to those people so that those authentic, legitimate people who don't know better can see and hear truth in you, right? That's the message. And so that's what Paul is saying. If you, if you avoided all the immoral and the greed and the swindlers and the idolaters, you couldn't live in the United States of America, Right? I don't know where you live. Norway, are they perfect? I don't know. Germans, are the Germany perfect? (laughs) Wow. Baxter, this is what happens when you forget geographically where you live. Okay. 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 So remove the evil person from among you is where, where he leaves it. That's tough. That's tough. There will be times in your life, maybe in the life of the church, where you have to draw that really hard line and withdraw fellowship from somebody who's that parasitic destroyer, who's a bushel huh, on the church. And that's really hard. And I hope it's terribly rare. But if those times come, Matthew 18 walks us all through all the things that come first. One-on-one uh, Christian brother. Um, that's Matthew 18. Where is it? Um, hang on. I've got other notes all over this page. I apologize. Um, if your brother's brother sins against you, go and rebuke him or her in private. If she listens to you, you have won your sister. But if he won't listen, take one or two others with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, facts may be established. If that person doesn't pay attention, bring it to the church. If still he doesn't pay attention, even to the church, let them be like the Gentile and the tax collector to you. In other words, constantly share love in the gospel, but don't expect holy behavior from that which is a dog, that which is a swine. So tough stuff for grown-ups today, right? The challenge is simply this. Live more like Jesus. 
and don't put a bushel on the church. As Patty comes up to close, I would, I would submit to you maybe some summaries of what we would be learning today in Orange, okay? These are not the words of Scripture. These are the words of Shannon. I'm just thinking this is a good way to put it into our language and application today. So let's do this in the form of prayer. I would ask you to, to bow your heads, to close your eyes, just to be quiet in a place of meditative silence for a moment. And I want us to listen to these words together as, excuse me, as brothers and sisters in the faith. Church, devote yourself to disciplined Christian living in accordance with what the scriptures have taught you. Church, remain accountable to other believers so that you can imitate what is good and flee from what is foolish. If those inside the family rebel in their sin, refusing to mature and embracing idolatry, they must be strongly rebuked or removed from the communion of the saints.